Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. You're not going to believe this. Oh, oh my God. God. Five stars. Five and a half stars. Papa. My dad is my hero. Grandpa, are you ready? I love a good happy ending. Oh boy. Hey, hey, It's a phony baloney. And a tit for tatter. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> Introducing Jeff Moore. He is a proud husband, father of four, active volunteer, second time entrepreneur, and his dad was his hero. There is never any shame in seeking a hand up and the best time to seek it is always today. Jeff, welcome. I met you through Evan Carmichael, who I love his content and I love his whole community. And I heard you talking about wanting to start a podcast. So tell me, where's the podcast right now? I've seen some of your posts on Instagram around the ideas that you've had. Sure. I'm excited about it. It's called the Pinned Podcast. I do have an Instagram page. And as you say, I've started putting out different posts. And it's a pretty intensely personal subject, but it's, it's a universal subject. Your own podcast here and your own business better call daddy. Like I am a dad, right? I I have four kids and I love them, you know, more than anyone else in the world, along with my wife, my family. Right. And, you know, I'll go back a little bit. So I believe I had a bit of an unusual childhood because my dad was older than my friend's dad, my father. And I won't even tell you how old I am, but my, my father, my father, not my grandfather was born in 1906. That's a fact. Okay. So it's not my grandfather. A lot of people thought he was my grandfather. But he, he was an adventurer. To me, he was a larger-than-life hero. I have pictures of him in the, the late 1920s on an expedition in the, in the subarctic up north for a year and a half, which was a mining expedition, right? He was an engineer, but he was in charge of both communications and the power systems for heating, et cetera, for a mining expedition for a year and a half in the subarctic. So I would see these pictures when I was a kid. And you know, I was born much later. He had me when he was quite old. And I would say, wow, that's that's crazy. You know, these are black and white pictures. And, you know, there's there's snow banks above his head in, in June or July. But that's way, way up north. Right. And in addition to that, an interesting thing is like he actually was in the Army Reserve during World War Two, but he really wanted to serve overseas. And even then being born in 1906, like in 43, he was 37. And they weren't necessarily looking for 37 year old people to go over there at his rank. So my mom has a letter, you know, he was asking to get demoted so that they could send him overseas. He wasn't, they were offering him like a desk job in Canada. But he was like, you can demote me, but I'm gonna go. And so they did that he went. And you know, so he served in World War Two. You know, for me, he was larger than life. But when I was growing up, he retired at 60. Well, I'm going to give away my age here, but he retired when I I started kindergarten. Okay, so I was hanging out with him and his friends. So if you just think about it, like if you hang out now with 65 year olds, the conversation of a 65 year old is not a 35 year old, 45 year old, 55 year old. It's a it's a 65 year old. So when I'm a little kid, my friends are hearing the stories of their dads and their moms, who are often in their earliest late 20s, but normally late, you know, mid 30s, early 40s, whatever. But I'm hanging out, my mom is is still alive, 21 years younger. But I'm hanging out with a retiree, I think I've had a different view on time from an early stage. And he had heart problems. So I was actually afraid of his mortality at an early stage. 
So I didn't want to be a serious kid, but I felt like there were serious things going on. And I was driven to say, how can I live an interesting life? And how can I, my parents were both volunteers. I wanted to be driven, right? I wanted to be driven to be engaged because that's what I saw, right? Anyway, I'll go straight to the podcast, but there's other blanks to fill in, obviously. Like I am a driven person and I have had a relatively successful career. I love people. I like to get involved in things. And I tried to be an entrepreneur starting about almost 12 years ago. And I had a good run for two years. But the fact is my wife was not working at the time. And, you know, I had four kids and I built up a a pretty decent lifestyle because I'd had a successful career. So the bills weren't stopping. Then I was renting an office. I had expenses on top of that. And certain things happened when, you know, like my biggest client had an issue. So they had to, they had to stop you know, like they, they had to finish the deal or end the relationship, which wasn't our fault, but it was their issue, right? I got jammed or I got what I call pinned because eventually I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm bootstrapping it. This is my money. I'm not looking to get other investors too, because I'm not even sure how long I can continue this, but I didn't realize it, but I was driven by the examples I'd seen around me, just work harder and, and be confident it's going to work out. But then I may be staying in the office till, you know, two, three in the morning, but come back at eight, right? And this is the office that I'm renting. I I might not even think about eating. It's not that I wasn't hungry, but I'm just thinking about working, getting contracts and stuff. I had speaking engagements. I had some other things and there was a ton of work to do. And I'm an athlete. I love sports, but I, I wasn't doing them anymore. I stopped doing sports because it was like all focused to get some big contracts, sort this out and keep the dream alive. And the business was a, a dream of mine. It was not just like it was something important to me. And I think with everybody, if it's important to you, that's what matters. I didn't see it, but I was starting to really like have anxiety and not sleeping and, you know, gradually like getting sick. Eventually my doctor kind of grabbed me and sent me to the hospital for tests. And then they said, you know, you're staying here. And I was admitted to the hospital and I was admitted to, you know, I'll be honest. I mean, I was admitted to basically the psych ward because I was broken. I was getting into a very dangerous situation. And so I didn't realize that. And, you know, I said this to Evan, you know, most of my friends who haven't seen me in a long time, they would say, you know, is Jeff a good candidate for a psych ward? They'd go, what are you talking about? You know, and like, if I look at myself in the mirror today or when I'm healthy, would I say that? I would say, are you crazy? I mean, it's ironic. I'm saying, are you crazy? Because I was crazy technically, right? So all of that, I was in there, I was pretty broken and my wife would visit me. My mom would visit me. My mom at 85 could be talking to me at two in the afternoon on a sunny day. And I'd I'd apologize, but there's no way I'm going to open my eyes. There's no way I'm going to really talk to her. And you take medication then too, but you're feeling pretty broken. It's almost torture to have lack of sleep. And you, you you need all these things to keep going, right? I'm giving you a very long story, but you go towards why I did this. So I thought, how can I turn this into something for other people? Because If I hadn't had this, I wouldn't believe it. If I have a friend who is a mountain climber, I may be impressed, but I didn't live it. So I I didn't live any intense experience by hearing his story, but how can I relate to it? So eventually I thought I came up with this idea of being pinned and not weak because I don't think anybody's actually weak, but I think a lot of people are crushed and I call it pinned, right? So I I use this weightlifting analogy and, and I wrote an article in something called Concussion Legacy Foundation. The U.S., you're in the U.S., right? The, the U.S. has a big, I guess, the, the first concussion legacy foundation, which has, you know, soldiers with post-traumatic stress disorder, athletes with, you know, post-concussion syndrome, people suffering from depression and anxiety from different things. 
And a lot of these people are not the typical people that you may say are, are weak, but, but I don't think you should say anybody's weak. And this is the whole point. So I came up with the idea of doing a podcast called the Pin Podcast. And my goal is to talk to people who have struggled by being pinned with a mental health issue or people who support them or life circumstances that caused it. And here's the quick thing. If you go to the gym, whether you're a man or a woman, normally the strength test is you do a bench press and people will say, how much can you bench? Like, how strong are you? Do you do 200 pounds, whatever you do, right? And then you can do reps with a heavy weight to prove you're strong. This is the opposite. And so you take the lightest weight, which is 45 pounds, but you don't stop at the last one and pass it to someone. You only stop when you're pinned. So literally the only rep that counts is like you, if you do 50 reps and the last rep, it only counts when you can no longer get it off your chest. One of my first guests is going to be a guy who has world records in bench press. And I've spoken to him in the last couple of days. And I've spoken to other like, you know, trainers for NHL and NHL hockey team doctors. And I've seen it and I've tried it. You could be the strongest woman in the world. And we could put the strongest man in the world. They can't just lift 10,000 times in a row. Eventually their muscles break down and they're pinned. And then, so when you're pinned, it's symbolic of, did you lose your job? Did you lose your house? Did you lose your wife? Did you have a diagnosis of cancer? Did your kid get hit by a car? There's too many ridiculous bad things that happen in the world. So if you have that, anybody could be pinned, right? Or you have a chemical imbalance. And finally, the thought of it is you need a hand up right? And that's what happens in weights. In normal weight training, it's called a spot, right? There are people who even super strong people, sometimes they just need a spot, which is a few fingers lifted up and that's a hand up and you're out. And so I'm not a doctor. I keep telling people, I, I'm not trying to, to make this because I'm claiming to have a magic solution for any one person, but I can try to prove through this. And from what I saw in the hospital and from what I know, that every single person on the planet, unfortunately, could be pinned. And if you're lucky to have a good run of 50 years of happiness without getting pinned, good for you. But eventually something's going to hammer you. And then you need a hand up. So we need to focus on a hand up too. It's trying to tell people, take the pressure down on yourself. Take the hand up. If you are really stuck with a mental health problem, you're not alone. If you're stuck with any other life thing, you're not alone. You're not weak. You're pinned. You're being crushed. And so... That is the whole thing. That is amazing. Why did you decide to come public? And was that hard for you? Yeah, it's very hard. And it took me a long time because anybody who watches this is going to learn new things too. And it's like, hopefully on my podcast, people are going to open up as Evan suggested, right? I'm not asking anybody to say things that they, they don't want to say. And I won't say things I don't want to, but I'm pretty open. To be honest, when you start coming through this, when you get out of the hospital, you're far from out of this because I have no job at that time, right? We're going to move. I can't just go back to getting the type of job I had before. My mind is not clear. My confidence is way down. So my friend offered me a job like selling programs at a game. So I went to a local pro game. I was selling programs. And then some people, I didn't care, but some people told me, you know, you could change your image because they're like, what the heck happened? Why would you be doing that? You know what I mean? I'm not afraid. I'm, I'm afraid of not getting into a fight now. And the fight is for the dignity of people who are suffering. Because anybody in the world who stigmatizes is just a bit ignorant that they are going to get crushed someday. And the ultimate, unfortunately, if you get very philosophical, is we're all human. So we, we're not going to live for 200 years. 
you can play any game you want, but you're not going to be here for 200 years and neither am I. So yeah, no, I was scared for a long time and, and I didn't for a long time because I wanted to protect my family, get a good job, go back to what I was doing. And I know who I am and who I want to be, but it's like, it's more like you get into a car accident, right? I've never been in a car accident, but I feel like I was in like a, a mental car accident. It takes time. You get into a car accident, it's going to take time to rehabilitate, of course. So anybody who gets hammered and then they look in the mirror and say, am I who I really thought I was? Am I as strong, as good, as capable? And it takes time because you, you've had your confidence knocked to the core. But eventually I'm like, it goes back to my dad too. My dad died 30 years ago, but I'm not going to walk through and say, I don't have the guts. The guy was in World War II and he saw people blown up at different times. He had post-traumatic stress disorder. I have things that he wrote for my mom that she shared with us in a family journal. If he had the courage to do that, if he was blown up as he could have been, I wouldn't even be here. I'm not fighting a war where somebody's pointing a gun at me every day, but I'm happy to get into a fight about saying, hey, you know what? I'll bring you this guy who has a world record in bench press who's going to tell you that he also is just as vulnerable of getting pinned as any stigmatizer. So can you give a hand up now? Because someday you'll need it. And if you're truly thoughtful, you can do something positive and we can like together. I'm one person. I'll contribute. There's a million great organizations that have been doing this for years. Tons of people who have been doing this for years. I'm getting into this late because I tried to figure out what I could say and what I could do. And also, yeah, come out and be honest. I love that your dad got vulnerable and wrote letters. Do you remember anything that he said? He wrote stuff more from my mom. And I have certain things from World War II that he had, but, but some of it was also, and also stuff that she wrote down. Here's an example, okay? My mom is 94. You know, she has Parkinson's. She has partly Alzheimer's. She's barely made it through COVID. If I go see my mom, and if I ask her the names of my kids and, and ask her questions, it's very possible on any given day, she's not going to remember. So all of that stuff for aging is other, you know, mental health issues, right? And so she fortunately took the time years ago when she was retired and lucid to write down family stories. And she wrote down stuff about my dad and what my dad told her about the war and experiences of him having a tough time sometimes because he would have flashbacks of people blown up in a tank in front of him. None of this podcast is going to be, it's not supposed to be dark and dreary. It's supposed to be real and come up at the end of it with the people who have dealt with something, having suggestions for other people who are really pinned right now and providing the hand up and some humor in this, you know, like it's not, I, I'm here to enjoy my life, but still I'm trying to go after this because I think I can, given a certain angle, open up for other people's voices. Yeah. I have another question too. Like, why did you choose to listen to that doctor? My doctor gave me medication, right? Because I wasn't, again, I wasn't sleeping. And eventually, if you don't sleep, anybody gets in trouble. It turned out I had sleep apnea. So I was at home and my business is going down. I needed to make things happen. And eventually I was at home sleeping all day with medication because I was breaking down. So eventually it's like, you're not going to stay home. You're going to get checked out. I'm not going to argue that. I, I know I'm not my normal self. I'm not, I know I'm not who I want to be. I know I have a responsibility as a dad, as a husband, as, and I know I'm an ambitious person if I'm healthy. If somebody hits you on the head with a baseball bat, it's not the time to take an exam. You are in effing pain. And when you have a mental issue, 
and again, I don't claim to have dealt with what other people have, but I've dealt with enough that you are pinned. I was like, I would be happy if the doctors can help me because I am not doing well and I, I, I can't sleep and I, I'm not who I want to be. So I got to fight. I got to figure this out. And, and that's the hand up. How did your concussions happen? Well, the first one was, you know, I don't know if you know the game British Bulldog, but I was in grade five, was playing British Bulldog. It's a form of tag, right? It's like one kid is it versus the whole schoolyard. And then once the kid touches anybody else, then they're it too. And it's the last kid who runs through who's left. You're not going to run through everybody. So the last kid or couple of kids win it. The problem was our schoolyard was like pavement, right? It was cement. I tried to deke a guy, right? I tried to go around him. So he, he didn't catch me with his hand. He tried to put his foot out to catch me. And so it tripped me and I went like head over heels like a somersault. And I tried to block my head, but I couldn't. So my head hit the pavement, right? I right away couldn't really see. It was like all of a sudden it was like my, my vision was shattered window, you know? I was screaming. I felt this big welt on my head. I was taken to the hospital. And I don't even remember much, but I was, you know, I think I stayed overnight. And the problem was there's a long recovery with this. It's like a car crash. Again, as I'm using the analogy, even though how can I use it? I've never had one. I had migraines for like on and off for a year. I would leave school and try to sleep it off and sometimes just, you know, cry myself to sleep as a kid. I was upset because in my school, like football is a big sport. Hockey is a big sport, all this stuff. I would try on helmets and stuff and immediately have a headache, like a bad, bad headache because it's putting some pressure on my head and I couldn't take that. So for quite a few years, I didn't play. Eventually I ended up playing, I played hockey. Eventually I played as an adult for a very long time, not at a high level, but I have fun. And I played rugby, right? Then rugby is a pretty tough sport. Rugby was my second concussion. This is an interesting story though, because like I was in a game against our main rival in, in Quebec where I live. And supposedly when I came out of a ruck and people are on the ground and stuff, some guy supposedly kicked my head like a soccer ball on the other team and I didn't see it. And so I was knocked out. My teammates got into a big fight. There was a fight between both teams and the trainer came out and this is where it's semi funny, but it's not. He's told me, and I still am in touch with him. He said, he's the only guy I'm the only guy who's ever had this happen with as a trainer. He comes out and he's checking on me. So he's asking me questions, giving me smelling salts to, you know, like kind of get me alert and stuff. And, but supposedly I was talking about the Flintstones and I don't know if you know what that is. Right. But I'm like a 20 year old guy on the rugby field and sitting down and, and I'm talking to him about the Flintstones. So it's almost like I was kicked back into my childhood. So he's like, get this guy off the field. We've got to monitor him. And you have to remember, and again, I'm just sharing my experiences, but you know, all of these people battling post-concussion syndrome and who've had concussions, it's the short, medium, long-term effects. Like I was feeling sick for quite a while. My head was very groggy for quite a while. That doesn't mean my teachers are letting me off of my midterms. You might have a little extension, but you're going to be forced to take it. I had crappy marks. I still got into university, my first university, first choice of university. In my case, and in many other cases, these setbacks can change your destiny. And how did that lead to you connecting with the concussion organization? Well, a couple of things. I mean, I did know a bit about it. Actually, I'm trying to even remember how that happened. I think in my broader work and business, I'm involved with something called impact investing, right? So, you know, there's a type of investing. Every investment is obviously about making money. That's what investing is. But impact investing, I think of it as like, if you can count to two or three, then you know what it is. It's like investing is making money. Well, number one, impact investing. Yes, of course, it's making money, but it's addressing, targeting a specific social issue. That could be number two. 
or it could be targeting specific environmental issue. That could be number two, or it could be targeting, you know, making money, addressing social and environmental issues. So I actually had some ideas and thought about things to do with mental health and the ways that some of these charities could be funded, not just through charity, but through investment. So I reached out to them and then I was just open. You know, I said, look, I've had concussions. And by the way, I was knocked out a third time. And the third time I was knocked out was not a concussion. It was like knocked out from a mental breakdown because I had, as my doctor said, you had too many fires. Like imagine you can imagine or anybody listening to you, imagine going back to your home, right? And then you see there's a fire in the kitchen or something. You're, you're going straight to put that thing out. And then you find out there's a fire also upstairs. You're going straight to put that out. And at a certain point, you either like fight or flight, you should call the fire department, but maybe you think they're going to take too long. So, so then you go downstairs, there's a fire in the basement. And then eventually you can get overwhelmed by smoke, right? If you don't get out of there and get help or whatever. So my doctor told me that everybody has a breaking point and it's the same thing. Like you can get pinned in life if too many, too many things happen, too many tough things that you can only deal with so much. If it's to do with a sickness with your kid, you lose a job, divorce. Those are crises of real life, which obviously could lead to depression and anxiety along the way. And then there's other people who have who are bipolar or schizophrenic and stuff obviously through absolutely no, no choice of their own. But if you have a chemical imbalance, you're going to need some help. I'm not a doctor. I'm not qualified to, to go into all of the biology of this and other things. However, from a human perspective, I want to talk to people who are on the podcast. I want to talk to people who have gone through things, not to just tell really sad stories, but finding the uplifting point of it, you know, posit, something positive, And that's the hand up. You can talk about the 105 year old. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. That's another massive motivator for me. That's my, that's a cousin of my father. I told you like my father, I told you was born in 1906. If he was alive, he'd be 115. He died just short of 85. His cousin, Alf Moore was an incredible inspiration over the years as well. I didn't explain this on Evan's podcast, I think, but he liked to sing. So he was in a barbershop quartet. Okay. So he would go around to other old folks homes or elder care facilities or whatever you call them. And he would actually sing to people who may be younger than him. But again, he was 105 when he passed away. But you know, he would sing in his late 90s, early 100s. So he may be speaking, singing, singing to the kids in the front row who are 95, and reminding them to get up and if they can, right, again, it's like you're, you can be pinned by lots of things, but trying to give a little perspective. So the story I told that you heard was, and I, I think it's a beautiful story, and I, I want to emphasize it on the PIN podcast. If you live a great life, if you do everything right, you are still pinned by time. Like I said, it's a fact. It's, there's many ways to say that, but you're not going to be here forever. And you can look up the stats of how long women live, how long men live. At a certain point, you know, you're going to run out of runway. So he knew that he was running out of runway and he was trying to cope with it. And he liked humor. So he would wake up every single morning in the old folks home and he had a routine. And the first thing he would do in the morning, he goes to the bathroom, looks in the mirror and he goes, oh, good. You're still here every day because he knew like, hey, I can't be here forever. I'm 105. And then he would take bets with people in the residence, so the workers and other people he would meet who are younger. And he liked to joke, right? He had binders and binders and binders of jokes in his room. I've taken photographs of some before he passed away. I have some photographs of pages. There's funny stuff. There's stupid stuff. There's racy stuff. You know, he wasn't a prude. He was, no, he's, he looked, he was young once too, right? I mean, he lived lots of things. So he's not like 
you can't tell some ridiculous jokes. He, and he, he didn't even mind if you poked fun at him for being old. Like I, he would want me to. It's like I might challenge him to a race down the hall and ask him why he's so slow. That's certainly not politically correct. But if it, depending on who you're saying it to and if they want to have some fun, right? Like let's, you can take the pressure down. Uh, sometimes it'd be completely inappropriate for him. He loved it, right? He loved it. But the second part of my routine every morning is I go to the mirror and I say, oh, good. You're still there, Alf. You know, that's great. And then I say, and happy birthday, Alf, every day. Because he said, look, I know the stats are, you know, he doesn't know exactly. He knows he's 105. He's not living another 105 years. And he's probably not living another three years. Like men don't live as long as women. And you look at the stats, 105 is old, right? So the odds of him celebrating many more birthdays, as we all do, are pretty low. But he figured it out. Like tomorrow is an anniversary of your birth, your birth. It's an anniversary of my birth. It's an anniversary of anybody in your family, anybody you know's birth, but it's an anniversary of the day. It's not an anniversary of the year, right? The human spirit is incredible. And I want to get people to hear these stories. There's a lot of tough times out there. There's a lot of people who are, are pinned. That weight is way too heavy from a mental health issue. And the mental health issue, depending on what it is, if it's stress or anxiety, can be caused by environmental circumstances, life circumstances. People who are normally super happy-go-lucky when they lose their job and can't get another one and are struggling to feed their family, you know, they may not be the, the, the happy-go-lucky person that you're used to. And even athletes, I would say, like, I, I, you know, you read about that. Like, if you are a star player, when you're no longer a star player, your self-image can change or can drop a bit because it's and I don't know, I'm not a star player at anything, but I can imagine like you're retired and it's not the adulation necessarily or not the big money necessarily. And so those cause adjustments for people. So what's wrong with a hand up? Why not? It's not so hard. We all have people who care about us. And obviously some people run into super tough situations, but if they could tell people earlier, they need a hand up, doesn't guarantee any miracle cure, like I said, but at least it gives them hope they can get back to being who they wanted to be. Yeah, I love that. I also am very curious about your experience in the hospital. Are you comfortable talking about that at all? Yeah, I mean, I'll talk a little bit about it. So you can ask questions and I'll, I'll see what I can tell you, you know. Were there any people who were pinned that inspired you with how they pulled through? Yeah, I'll tell you a couple of examples. And there's some real ironies, which is is very true, but very ironic. So and how they pulled through. I mean, you know, afterwards you go in different directions, right? And although you're friendly with people, people are living very intense things, right? I mean, it is true that I learned to juggle and I'm not a good juggler, but I did learn to juggle from a guy who was like a, you know, like a circus type of performer, but he was in there because he tried to hang himself for all sorts of issues. And supposedly first responders got there and like cut the rope. And so he was teaching people some, you know, juggling and stuff like that. So in his struggles, he was also trying to help others with some small things like that, you know, or things like that. I can tell you, ironically, like I saw two people on the floor from my college in the same year. Now, but listen to this, though. This is a fact. One of them was working there. Okay. That was like somebody who worked for the hospital on the floor. The other one was had become schizophrenic. I knew the person working there. The other one, we remembered each other once we started talking. But that was a very bizarre thing. I would say a lot of the staff, you have to give them the massive hands up because I was there for five weeks. You know, some people make their careers there for 40 years trying to help people and they're dealing with a lot of stuff. 
You know, there's a lot of tough things that go on. I would just take my hat off to the staff. And I'll tell you one more story that's actually almost unbelievable, but it is true. So I'll say it on the wall. Like I was in a hospital where I was actually born. My father was a volunteer involved with helping the hospital at times. And that's where I went back to for this, right? And on the wall in my primary school, I had a classmate who, who ended up being, I think, bipolar. And her father got very involved, a successful lawyer and stuff, got very involved in financing mental health issues and had made a big donation in support of the ward. So even my classmate, my classmate from primary school's name was on the wall where I was. And she, unfortunately, she was still alive then, but she committed suicide a few years later. We're not talking about light issues here, but all of this is not to depress. Maybe your listeners are going to think this is the most depressing discussion we've ever brought up here, but it's actually trying to be the opposite to let's be real. Let's admit that people can get anybody in the world can get pinned if we can all look after each other a bit more with a hand up and not not let people feel that deep shame or deep like I'm weak. I'm I'm going to believe what the bullies or the stigmatizers say and get into a very tough situation. The worst is obviously, I think, suicide. And that's, you know, at the deepest level, you want to give people a hand up to say, that's not your option. Your option is much earlier to see that you are not weak at all. I absolutely love your mission. And I already know some people I could send your way if you're looking for guests. Absolutely. No, no, absolutely. And you know, I've started to have incredible people come out of the woodwork, but no, that's the goal, right? I, this is not my full-time job by a long shot, but it is, it is a, a personal, deep personal mission. And I'll tell you even like in the last week, like once I was on Evan's podcast and once, once I wrote the article earlier this year, like you're saying, am I afraid of being stigmatized? Yeah, I mean, I, I was for, for years because I needed to get back my career and take care of my family. I'm not 20 years old, you know, and I'm also aware that hopefully I'm here for a long time, but I've got no more guarantee of that than anyone else. I mean, Evan emphasizes that too, right? Like, forget about being perfect. Just just go out and try to tell your story and get better and, and remember your mission. So my mission is not to worry about what somebody thinks about me. My mission is to to hang out with people who are people like the courageous. I get inspired by, by people who are appreciative of their lives and are trying their best to, to do something and, and give that hand up. And so anybody else, I think they can play games with themselves for however long and be the, the tough person and whatever, but they are just as susceptible. And unfortunately, as Alf would tell him, they're going to get pinned someday. Alf, Alf also told me, this was interesting because I even told him, this was three years ago, I told him, some of these things that I hope to do, because he knew I was in the hospital, right? And he said, this is a fact that 105, do you think I'm still hanging out with my friends from youth? I'm like, no, but nobody's around, right? He said, so if, if I listen to my friends or the most popular guy in high school or woman, a girl in high school, whatever, or in my career, if they told me who I should be and don't take this risk, don't try this, don't try this, or you're not as good as me or something, they're eventually not around. And so he said, don't worry about anybody else because you're living your life. They, they've got their life. They can do whatever they want. But if I get as far as Alf at 105, which would be <laughs> a bit ridiculous. And Alf was proud that he went for it. And like, like Evan Carmichael is a hero, I think. And he, he lets people say, you're built to serve. He says that to everybody. And on this topic, I can serve. I can get involved and I can look at my dad and my Alf and other people and say, I'll fight 
I love that. I was just talking to my dad yesterday and my dad asked me, what do you think is unique about me? And I said, dad, the fact that you've always been okay with who you are and comfortable in your skin is actually unique. (laughs) Yeah. Something as simple as that. It is a fact. If each of us could have our circle of friends and family there to provide the hand up, the world can take care of itself a lot better anyway, right? Yeah, there's tons of negative news out there. There's lots of people who would like to put somebody down rather than bringing them up. But the fact is, I think, I think I don't know if Mike Tyson said this, but I, I remember, and I like his podcast. I think he's an incredible guy, but he goes something like, you know, it's all fun and games till somebody punches you in the face, something like that. So I think that's true of life. I've been in the hospital for different injuries, including concussions. I worked in West Africa when I was 20. I've gone back for different projects. I got a bit sick there. And if you're sick, like we all get sick. If you're in the hospital, you need help. There's just no question about it. So why? And this is another thing, like it shocks me, like who's going to argue that physical and mental health are not like intrinsic, central, important aspects of all of our lives? It's impossible to argue that. You, you need both physical and mental health. So if you don't have it, and a lot of people don't have it through no, it's no choice of their own. It's not, you know, it's just happened. Or then they got caught in, in situations that were tough. But like, why, if we know that that's, that's key to being alive, then why are we so short-sighted about like letting people and respecting people who want to better themselves? And it's not better, get, get, want to get help because they're pinned, because they are suffering and they're, they're in trouble. They're not well. And a lot of people who are not well, if anybody truly put themselves in the shoes of those people based on what they've had to live and are living and, and different issues that medical doctors would explain in a thousand times more clear than me, if they're true, true about that, honest about that, they'd say, yeah, how would I deal with that? You think I would be any stronger? Absolutely not. I would be pinned take the effing hand up. Excuse me. Jeff, this has been an absolute pleasure. I am going to give you the floor to promote away, let people know how they can connect with you on Instagram, when the podcast is coming out and who you would love to reach out to you to be guests. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. Well, look, I've just created this page called pinned.podcast on Instagram. That's really all I have to start. However, I do have an email and I don't mind. It's jeff at pinnedpodcast.ca. I'm in Canada. I'm happy to hear from anybody with ideas. I'm putting together a list of people who would like to share their story, get into a conversation. And it's all the core messages. You know, people are not weak, but they are pinned. And so they deserve the dignity of a hand up. When we're healthy, we, we certainly can give that to them. When we're not, we have no reason to have so much self blame or shame or anything like we are human and Alf would tell you, you you're gonna run off out of time unfortunately and that's true we don't think that way but we're not here forever that's a fact even though you know you can say it's such a long road it's endless well it's actually not endless so do you want to celebrate and together and give the hand up the actual podcast I hope might start as soon as next Wednesday and then that's it you know just go from there and and just you know it's such a simple message and hats off to people tons of people hats off to you for for inviting me on this in the first place Rena and everything you do hats off to Evan for his built to serve inspiring people hats off to the people who who looked after me and the in everyone else you know on the ward in the hospital and yeah we can be pinned but we can with a hand up 
then pass it to the medical professionals or other caregivers or other people who want, who care about someone and, and want them to be really who they are. I can't wait to hear what my daddy has to say. He's going to love this episode. I hope I can talk to him or meet him someday. Maybe with COVID, you know, lessening up, it would be amazing to, to actually meet Evan, yourself and other people in person if there's ever some gathering. But no, I'll be, I'll be interested to hear what your dad says and if he has any ideas and stuff. I, I have big ears and they're open. You know? Aw, okay. Well, I will send you his reaction. So stay tuned. Okay. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. This was a very interesting episode with Jeffrey and Rena. I really like the way he puts it. You know, if you have a, an injury uh, to your leg or your arm and you have to go to the hospital and have a surgery, even uh, if you have an internal issue with your heart or, or with your liver or something, nobody thinks anything of it. But if you have a mental breakdown or an issue, uh, people look at that like, uh, oh, my God, we can't have anything to do with a person like that. You know, uh, they're sick or a crazy or a wacko. Keep them away from us is sometimes the first reaction. And yet, I just love his example and the name of his show and what he's trying to do to help uh, people and really be able to tell his story is to say, hey, uh, you could be working out with weight when you're doing certain repetitions or you're doing certain things with your head. It can get clogged or where you can actually get pinned, where you just can't move. And that doesn't mean that it is something that is a permanent thing. It just means that you might need help. And whether you need a professional to uh, help, it's the same thing when you're lifting weights. You always have a spotter just in case there's a, a slippage or, uh, or something goes wrong where you have somebody where you, where you don't get crushed with the weights falling back on your chest. Because a lot of times you're working out, let's say you're working out with 200 pounds and normally you can lift 10, but you go and got nine up, you go to get the 10th one and you just can't move. It starts moving lopsided. And if there isn't somebody there to, uh, to grab that other end, it comes right, it could come right down on you and it really, uh, somebody can get really uh, hurt. So that's the thing is that we all can get hurt at any time because just like the example he gave also is that we all are finite beings. What that means is that we are not going to last forever. There's going to be a breakdown in our bodies and possibly in our minds at some point, whether you live to 80, 90, 100, 105, even 120. The point is, is that there is a decay in our bodies and in our mind. Some things can be fixed. Some things can be improved. But it's not necessarily where it can just be done by ourselves and alone. Sometimes we need a helping hand. And isn't that the same story about if you play sports or you run a business? You just can't do it all by yourself. It takes a team effort sometimes to accomplish anything in life. And those that reach out to others and network with others, you'll find that you'll be a hell of a lot more successful in life by having the stronger team. That's how you win championships. And that's how you really get ahead in life. And part of uh, one of the purposes that we're here is to do exactly that, is to be able to show that we can get along, not only love ourselves and get along with ourselves, but also where we can then project that and helping other people as well. And that's what humanity is supposed to be, is where we have a development of positive forward motion for ourselves and everyone around us. 
Yeah, you know, I was just on Instagram live with this girl, Angela, and I was encouraging her to check out my Toastmasters group because it helps you think on the fly. I'm working on using less filler words. You know, those are things that she wants to accomplish. So it was like, hey, you know, you can come and be my guest a couple of times and see if it's for you. And I was just trying to encourage her, you know, it's the end of the year. We all have these resolutions of things we want to get better at. And I heard her saying that she wanted to get better at those things. I was like, give me your email. I'll get you put on the list. I try to do that with other people in my Facebook group too. Like people that have been on my podcast that I actually would like to deepen my friendship with. I tell them what I'm up to and see if they're interested in being a part of it as well. That's the thing. If we share and we get other people involved, that's how you really have meaningful and true relationships. But what's another interesting mix of this is that a spotter is there when you're lifting your weight to help you when you're in trouble. We expect the person to lift the weight first on their own. But if they're struggling or they have a problem in lifting that weight off their shoulders, let's give someone a helping hand so that they can get back to lifting the weight on their own. It shouldn't be where we get someone also dependent on always getting a helping hand. We want to give someone a little push or a little encouragement, but we do want to see our children be able to, once they can start getting away from the crawling business, we want to get them on their feet where they can run across the room also. Seeing little Marvin, as you know, your Vinny, was walking on his knees. He couldn't really crawl and then get up and walk. He did uh, an in-between step where he was trying to run on his knees. Remember that? But once he got on his feet, though, the next stage, uh, he runs all around the house and all around the room. The fact is, is that it's that encouragement and getting him still to get on his feet when he could. But some of us need sometimes an extra step along the way. And just because he needed an extra step along the way, that doesn't mean that he's being deficient in his head or in his aptitude. He just needed an extra step. And sometimes those that do take an extra step sometimes outrun the people that crawl and then start walking and running. So you just never know who's really going to win the race. It takes a lot of different variables, but all of us need that encouragement and helping hand when we need it. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. 